make sure that I'm so that we can record this so that it goes on our website. But there's something different about this season. This season, 2020, between Pesach and Shavuot, the gods of this world appear powerless to, to deal with the COVID-19. They're without solutions. And whatever solution they think they have, it changes the next day. Whatever models they're basing things on, they seem to change from day to day. The gods of this world, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, and I'm talking about the media, media, the government, science, technology. You know, those are all wonderful, wonderful things, but we need to be focusing on God's solutions, kingdom solutions at this time. And I'm really sensing, and I know most of us, a lot of us have been on shutdown for at least four weeks, maybe five weeks, some of them longer. Some have lost jobs, and it's time for us to get back to work. I really believe that. I really believe that strongly. But I've also been using this opportunity to really just press into the Lord and to see what he's been saying. And, and I've been seeing and feeling many prophetic words about this particular season, that the ecclesia, the church, is being stirred. It's being awakened. It's being awakened. And that we're seeing creative ways to see the gospel proclaimed around the world. You know, usually we minister to 40 people, maybe 50 people here on the mountain on a Shabbat. But here we have friends from Africa, from California, from everywhere. We're able to share the kingdom all over the world. And God has really allowed us to do that and, and to look at other ways to share the gospel, to share the kingdom other than our traditional ways. I just want to do a little bit of a short review from last week's message I talk about four ways that we defeat the enemy, four ways that we can defeat this virus that is going around, four ways that we can defeat the circumstances of economic shutdown. I want to talk about those real briefly. First of all, we defeat the enemy. We can defeat the virus and all these things going on with the word of God and faith and proclaiming, proclaiming truth and resisting the animal, the enemy. First of all, the word of God, it says in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. So my word, and we know that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and his name was Jesus. His name was Yeshua. So my word will be that that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me in vain, but will accomplish what I intend and will succeed in what I sent it for. God's word will never come back void. When he sends his word, it is to fulfill his purposes. And we need to believe that and do it and trust it. Psalm 107 verse 20 said, He sent his word and healed them and rescued them from their pits. And I know that the word of God is powerful. We've been speaking Psalm 91 over our congregation, over the city, over this nation. And I believe the power in the word, it's there to heal and to deliver. He's given us, God has given us his sword. We need to use it. And we defeat the enemy when we walk in faith. The Hebrew word for that is emunah, faith or trust. In Psalm 62, verse 9, it says, trust in him. Trust, put your faith in him at all times, not just in the good times, not just in the times when everything is going just great, 
but trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart in his presence. God is our refuge. And then it says, Selah, pause, think on that. See, we have the confidence, and faith gives us the confidence that he will do what he says he will do. You know, we have little faith, great faith, or perfect faith. God wants us to walk in a greater faith, leading to a perfect faith, the kind of faith that Yeshua walked in. And we defeat, we defeat the enemy, and we defeat the, the virus, and we defeat sicknesses, all of these, and plagues by proclaiming truth, proclaiming truth. That's powerful. Proclamation, and I say that often, is so powerful. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces shalom, who brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation. And salvation here is God. Yeshua means God's salvation. We announce God's salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. And, and, it's, and it's to speak it out loud, to proclaim, means to declare it, not just in our hearing, but to the heavenlies. And we say today, our God reigns. Hallelujah. And we have the authority to proclaim. Did you know that? I got a little bit of an audience here. It's kind of nice after a change. <laughs> we have the authority to proclaim. In Luke chapter 4, Yeshua says this, but listen to this. He says, the Ruach Adonai, the Spirit of God is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of Adonai's favor. Hallelujah. You see, we have authority because Yeshua have it and he gave us that authority when he ascended to heaven. So we need to use that authority. It just reminds me of a time, and this is uh, several years ago when Millie and I were we were in a process to get into to, um, to the land that God called us to be in. And we were not allowed in for various, for different reasons. And, uh, but God called us to do something. He said specifically, I want you to go to the island of Cyprus, which was the closest place that we can go. And I want you, he gave us a strategy three times a day that we were to go to the sea, which was the closest place to the, to the land that we were not able to get into at the time, and to pray for open doors. And so three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening, we would go out to the sea and we would pray for those open doors to be opened. At the same time, our friend in the country that we were called to be in was, was going to the, the court in the place where he was living and speaking those same open doors, speaking the open doors. And, and one of the last days that we were there doing this, we get a phone call from our friend and he's saying, you wouldn't believe this, but today, 900 people who've been trying to get into this country have been allowed into the country. And so we're going, hallelujah. We're hoping those open doors would be for us to get in, but within a few weeks, we were able to go in. But God gave us a specific plan to proclaim his word, not just to think about the words, 
not just to kind of contemplate on it, but actually to speak it out with authority and confidence. And that's what we did. And we saw doors open up. And then when we do this, when we stand on his word, walking by faith, and we're proclaiming his truth, we need to resist the enemy because the enemy will come and he will lie and he will say, you know, what are you doing? What a waste of time. You don't have, you can't do this. You're not able to do this. I don't know, maybe it hasn't happened to you, but it's happened to me. And this is where we need to stand on the word of God. Don't give up or don't give in. And I want to read a scripture in 1 Peter chapter 5. Just a little bit of a background here. Starting in verse 6, but... Peter, the apostle to the Jews, he's in Rome, but he's writing this letter to the believers, Jewish and Gentile believers, who are in what is present-day Turkey. And they're under incredible persecution at the time that he wrote this letter. So here's what he writes. Therefore, humble yourselves under under the mighty hand of God so that he may lift you up at the appropriate time. Cast all your worries on him, for he cares for you. How many of you have been worrying about all kinds of things? And God says, cast your cares and worries upon him because he cares for us, for he cares for you. Stay alert. And this is, a, this is the word to us today. Stay alert. Watch out. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. He's prowling around. He's walking around looking for somebody to devour. Stand up against him. Stand up against him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being laid upon your brothers and sisters throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory and Messiah, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. So when we stand and we resist the devil, it says here that he will restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. All power to him forever. Amen. So resist. Don't give up. Don't give in. Sometimes I think we give up too soon, don't you think? Don't give up. So I want to take a few minutes and talk about, that's my introduction. I want to talk about what is this counting of the Omer. In Hebrew, it's called the Sephirat, Sephirat Ha'omer. Now, forgive me for those who are from Israel right now watching for my Hebrew. It's a little rusty right now. Sephirat Ha'omer, the counting of the Omer. There's some confusion uh, on the day that it actually starts because it says, uh, well, let me just read some, some verses here in Leviticus chapter 23. And uh, I actually, Mike, I gave you some scriptures, just 15 and 16, but I'm actually going to start earlier. I know it may throw you off, but I'm going to start in verse 9. Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Bnei Israel, the sons of Israel, and tell them, When you have come into the land which I will give you and reap its harvest, then you are to bring the omer of the first fruits of your harvest to the Kohen, the priests. He is to weigh the omer, the omer before Adonai to be accepted for you. 
On the morrow after the Shabbat, the Kohen is to wave it. And that's where I'm going to talk just in a few minutes. There's a little confusion about what that Shabbat he's talking about. On the day when you wave the Omer, you are to offer a male lamb without blemish, one year old, as a burnt offering to Adonai. The grain offering with it should be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to Adonai for a soothing aroma. Its drink offering with it should be a quarter of a gallon of wine. You are not to eat the bread, roasted grain, or fresh grain until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. And if God says something is a statute forever in all your dwellings, we need to take that seriously. And then verse 15 and 16. Then you are to count from the morrow after from the morrow after the Shabbat, from the day that you brought the omer of the wave offering, seven complete Shabbatot, seven complete weeks, until the morrow after the seventh Shabbat, you are to count fifty days and then present a new grain offering to Adonai. See, the confusion is in the Shabbat. Some would consider that Passover day, Pesach, is a Shabbat, and, and that's what I believe. But then others are saying, well, it's no, it's the next Shabbat. That we, but I'm, we're counting starting from the day after the Shabbat of the Passover. That's what we're doing. So there's a little bit of confusion on that in the body, in the Messianic body, but it's not a big deal. And like I said earlier, it's this, this counting of the Omer, because it's in Leviticus 23, which talks about the appointed times. And we all know the appointed times. We say, this is an awesome chapter. But a lot of times we overlook this very important process that's taking place here. It's often, often considered just a religious ritual. Not important, and certainly not something that the Gentile church would do. But I beg to differ. I don't agree with that. Let me uh, let me just start it off with saying this way: Have you ever counted the days to an event? Have you ever had something that you're planning on in the future, and you you start counting the days? You ever heard that term? A watched pot never boils. And you're, you're counting the day, and then t time just kind of seems to go slow. And I remember when I was in my uh, last months of being in the United States Navy, and we were called short timers, and and we counted every day. Um, I'm short. I'm short 33 days. I'm short 23 days, and and pretty soon you're like, wow, this time is going by really slow. We we count the days. We look forward to something to take place. And I know a lot of times when Millie and I were planning on a cruise, and every couple of years we go on a cruise, and we start counting eight months before that cruise because we are so looking forward to it. We start counting the days and maybe even the hours until that cruise takes place. It's just something that we do. And, and, and this, this is that time, this 50 days or 49 days plus one between the Passover and the Shavuot, very, very significant days that I want to talk about. What is an omer? A lot of people are saying, what, what is an omer? It's a unit of measurement represented by a sheaf of barley grain, which is the early wheat, and it's waved before the Lord for seven weeks until the, the harvest is ripened. It's considered to be the early uh, harvest in Israel, seven full Shabbatot. And it's interesting because the number seven, of course, is perfection, seven complete weeks. And we also are reminded that Yeshua's resurrection 
was at the beginning of the counting of the Omer. Maybe some, according to some calendars, maybe, you know, at the same time that the, the people were bringing their sheaves and waving before the, the priest at the temple, he was resurrected out of his tomb. And so there's a correlation between first fruits with counting of the Omer and Yeshua's resurrection. Because the time between first fruits, which is the resurrection of Yeshua, he is our first fruits, and Shavuot, when the Torah, the word of God, was given to the people. And, of course, we see that the disciples waiting in Jerusalem for the, the promise that Yeshua said, wait in Jerusalem for the promise. The Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, was going to be imparted into them. So there's a, a time of anticipation it's always a time in Israel of, of spiritual expectation and anticipation, similar similar to the 10 days of awe that we have in the fall between Yom Teruah, the blowing of the trumpets, and Yom Kippur. When we look at barley, and why barley? I'm going to talk just for a few minutes. First of all, it's the, like I mentioned, it's the early grain. It's a very hardy, kind of a rough grain, and it's the first to ripen in Israel. And barley in the scriptures is mentioned in always in the context of victory and provision. So let's look at the how it's mentioned in the in the context of victory in Judges chapter seven, verse 13. Before I get there, let me give you a little bit of context. We know that this is the story of Gideon. Gideon's been called by God. First of all, the angel of the Lord finds him threshing wheat in a in a, um, what do you call that? Wine press. Yeah, a wine press. Thank you, audience. It's good to have you here with me. He's hiding from the Midianites. And then the first thing that this angel says is, mighty man of valor. And Gideon says, who are you talking about? Who are you talking about? Are you talking about me? And then we know the story. You know, he says, if you really are from the Lord and you are speaking to me, if the Lord is speaking to me, then, then he lays out several several things that he asks him to do. And, and uh, finally, he, you know, with the, um, the fleeces that he lays before the Lord, and finally, Gideon understands that God's called him to defeat the Midianites. And so, you know, this whole army, you know the story, you know, these army of Israelites come down, thousands and thousands, maybe 20, 30,000, and God says, no, that's too many people. And then he he dwindles it down by an interesting, uh, an interesting thing, you know, about drinking the water, lapping the water, or drinking the water th with your hands, and down to 300. And Gideon, mighty man of valor that he is, he's still like, oh, God, I don't know, man. I, I, just, I just don't know. And God says one more thing. He says, oh, well, I'll tell you what. If you've got some doubts about what I'm calling you to do, um, I want you to take your servant and you walk through the camp of the enemy tonight. I'm going to protect you. You're going to walk through the enemy camp tonight, and I want to show you something. So he walks, he goes down there, in Judges chapter 7, verse 13. Yet when Gideon came, behold, there was a man relating a dream to his fellow. Now, these are the enemy, okay? And so one of the enemy soldiers has a dream. A man relating a dream to his fellow, to his fellow soldier, saying, hey, listen, I just now had a dream. There was a loaf of barley bread, that came tumbling into the camp of Midian, came up to a tent and struck it so it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. 
Gideon says, all right, God, I get it. You've given me the authority and the power to destroy these enemies. And so that dream that, the, that those guys had about the barley loaf, so there's victory. So that's the context of victory. And we also see that, that it's a, a provision. Barley is a sign a context, in the context of the scriptures is, is often referring to provision. And we see this in John chapter 6, verse 9. And you know the story. This is when Yeshua is in the, uh, the Galilee region, and uh, he's, he's preaching and preaching to the multitudes. And 5,000 people show up, and he's on the mountain. And he tells his disciples, hey, man, we need to get some food for these folks. And, um, you know, they're just so full of faith at this point. He said, we don't even have enough. We don't have enough money to feed these people. John chapter 6, verse 9. There's a boy over here who has five, lo- five barley loaves and two fish. But, what that's, but what's that for so many? And Yeshua says, just t- I'll take that. And he blesses it. He blesses it and multiplies it. They fed the 5,000, and they had food left over, provision from those barley loaves. Hallelujah. So we see victory and provision when it talks about the barley. The Omer, counting the Omer, and we see this in, in the time that after Yeshua's resurrection, he walked with his disciples for 40 days. He ate with them. He taught them about the kingdom. Basically, he freaked them out every time he showed up. He says, Thomas, put your, put your hands in, into my wounds. He spoke to them. He even walked through walls. Amazing. All this time, he showed up to the, to the disciples as they were walking to Emmaus and showed them who he was and talked about the kingdom. And then he says to them, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes to you. And I just want to ask a question. So this is all during the counting of the Omer. So they're in Jerusalem during the counting of the Omer. So maybe they would go to the temple and, and see the, the wave offering being presented before the, the Kohen, the, the priests. But what do you think when God said, when Yeshua said to the disciples, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. First of all, these are mostly people from Galilee. So they're staying in homes and they're staying together. What do you think those 10 days were like for those disciples? Well, we know a little bit about the disciples as we read the scriptures. They had some issues to work through, didn't they? But I also believe that there was a lot of anticipation as they waited, as they spent time with Yeshua. They knew that he had promised something that was going to be coming. And they knew that Shavuot was coming up. Pentecost, for if you're not familiar with the term Shavuot, Pentecost was coming up. So there was anticipation. But there was also making things right with each other. And this is right along with what Carol was saying in her word. You know, we need to make sure that our hearts and our attitudes are right with one another before we come before the Lord. And that's what they were doing. They were dealing with issues that had come up. Yes, Jason, question. Between when he ascended until the promise of Shavuot came. Yeah, the spirit, 10 days. But he'd been with them for 40 days. He'd been with them for 40 days. But I also sense that there was an urgency in prayer, an urgency in prayer like they had never experienced before. How do we observe 
this counting of the Omer. This is an incredibly significant season. I'll get there. I'll get there. She's they're, they're prompting me. That's the, that's the problem when you have an audience here. They're prompting you on what you say. I'll get there. I'll get there. I'm just giving the background of the counting of the Omer. But I really believe that we are in a significant time. God was not blindsided, blindsided by any of what's going on, the shutdown, being um, with a stay in, stay in place, stay in home orders. This is a time for us to deal with those issues that God's called us to do to increase the fervency of our prayer at this time because God is getting ready to shake things up big time, and it's good. It's nothing to be fearful about. So in the same way that the disciples were together for those 10 days, we need to be right with one another. If there's issues that you have with a brother or a sister this is an, or somebody in your family, this is an opportunity to make those things right, to forgive, to restore relationships, to encourage people one another. You know, you might think, well, how do we do that if we're not able, able to go out of our homes? I don't know. we got phones. Everybody's got technology. You call people and just say, hey, how are you doing? How can we pray for you? Praying with a fervency that we have never had before. God has called us to be a house of prayer. You know, there was the house of prayer for all nations in Jerusalem. The temple was called house of prayer for all nations, but God has called us to be houses of prayer. So how do we actually do this? And I'm going to, this is where we're going to get into the counting of the days, okay? Okay? And first of all, there's a blessing that is always spoken every morning or every day uh, in, the, in the bringing of the sheaf, the omer, the barley to the temple. And it goes like this, blessed are you, O Lord our God king of the universe who has sanctified us by his commandments and commanded us concerning the countering of the omer. And as I read this, I'm, it's, it's about thanking God for his appointed times. It's thanking God for his faithfulness, praising him for the coming harvest. And it's very similar to what we read in the, in the Gospels where the disciples say, Yeshua, teach us how to pray. And he says, our Father, sanctified, holy, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. So there's this blessing that we speak at the beginning of the counter. And then we say this. Today is nine days, which is one week and two days of the Omer. And why do we do that? Yes, question. And there's nine of us here, too. So we're keeping the social distancing regulations. But it's it's nine days. Today is nine, the ninth day of the Omer. So we always say nine days, which is one week and two days. There's always a prophetic element to the appointed times. Every prophetic every appointed time has a prophetic element. In other words, there's a significance for that day. But there's also a future greater fulfillment to take place. So even as we're in anticipation of the early harvest, we thank God for it because we know that there's going to be a greater harvest coming. The counting of the Omer connects the physical deliverance of Israel, which is the Passover, 
with its spiritual deliverance, the physical deliverance of Israel, Passover, with the spiritual deliverance and betrothal at Mount Sinai. When God gave his Torah at Mount Sinai. And that's what Shavuot, when the, the believers in Jerusalem, they were waiting because that was a, something that they had been doing at that point for about 1,500 years is to celebrate the Shavuot, the giving of the Torah. But, but Yeshua said, wait for the promise of the Father. And we know that the, the, the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, was imparted to them on that day. So it's a time of spiritual introspection, those 10 days. But it's also an anticipation for the coming harvest. And then something else they do every day during the counting of the Omer and this is also pretty awesome, is they read Psalm 67. So I'm going to read Psalm 67. Starting in verse 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he cause his face to shine upon us. See, there's an element of the ironic blessing even right there. And then he says, pause, selah, think on that. Verse 3, so that your way may be known on earth and your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples fairly and guide the nations on the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its harvest. God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. It's a prophetic declaration of God's salvation to every nation. And that's within the counting of the Omer every day. Read Psalm, Psalm 67, a prophetic declaration of God's salvation, Yeshua, to every nation. So I really believe this is a season, as I bring things to a close, this is a season of Urgent intercession, intercession for purification for the bride, for us to prepare for the coming harvest. You see, I really believe as a result of everything that's happened, people are going to be saying, you know what? The gods of this world failed me. I want to go to the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they come in, and they're going to be coming into our fellowships. They're going to be coming to our churches. Are we ready for them? Are we ready to be the disciples of the people that are coming in? And God wants us to get rid of the leaven. God wants us to get rid of the hindrances so that we can disciple the folks as they come in. So as I kind of bring things to a close here, I want us to remember that when God spoke about the counting of the Omer, he he, God commanded them to do this. Where were they when he gave this command? Hello? They were in the wilderness. What did they have? Did they have any crops? Not really. They had nothing. They weren't even in the land of Israel at the time that God gave them this promise. So for us today, it's a time to declare the victory in anticipation of fulfillment. It's a time of proclamation of God's victory. Just as the angel spoke to Gideon 
Before Gideon had done anything, he was hiding in a wine press. He says, mighty man of valor. He said, this is who you are. You haven't done anything yet, but you will walk into who you are. It's a time to declare victory in anticipation of fulfillment and provision. That's our job. We don't have a job that is finished yet. God still has a job before us to declare with power and authority the kingdom of God. Wherever we're at, we're doing it on social media now. But soon, hopefully within the next few weeks, we'll be able to get out there. And I really hope and pray that there will be such a greater sense of power for the body of Messiah to declare his purposes on planet Earth. These things didn't happen over the last couple of months just to bring our economies to ruin. I don't believe that. I believe that God has a purpose for every storm that comes upon us. You know, we can sit here and we can argue, is this judgment from God? Is this judgment from God? Is this judgment upon the unbeliever? Is this judgment upon the church? Here's the point. And I, I was thinking about this this morning when Yeshua was on the boat on the Galilee in the midst of a storm with his mighty fisherman buddies, and he's sleeping in the front of the boat, and they are scared to death. Yeshua, don't you care that we're all going to perish? We're all going to drown? And he woke up. He rebuked the winds. He rebuked the storm. And he said, peace, be still. And then he asked them, guys, where's your faith? You see, we have authority to speak to whatever's going on. It's there. We can't change that, but we can speak God's truth and see his purposes fulfilled on planet Earth instead of wondering, well, is this judgment or is this that or is this, 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 is this from God or is this from the enemy? God says rebuke. God says speak truth. You see, we have a job to do. That's what we have to do. So this is a time to prepare ourselves for the upcoming harvest. How many have had more time, you know, just by yourself? You know, you just kind of like you want to get out. And, uh, well, this is a time where we say, Lord, search my heart. Carol shared this during the Parsha. Search my heart. Lord, is there any attitudes? Is my flesh, is my stinking thinking coming up? Lord, deal with that. Is there any unforgiveness, any rebellion? Lord, this is an opportunity for us to deal with those things. Let us not pass this time by. And in closing, I just want to close with this. It's a time, it's a time to proclaim our, I call it our Galatians 2.20 relationship. Our Galatians 2.20 relationship. It is no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. In the life that I now live in this body, I live by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. In the life that I live, I'm going to live for him and to him. He has work for us to do during this time. Amen? God bless you all. Father, I just thank you that... As I've said three times already this morning, you were not
caught by surprise, blindsided by what we are going through right now. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us to be alive for such a time as this. Lord, we look to you for solutions. We look to you for our answers. Lord, we look to you for our strength. We look to you for the authority that you've given us, Lord. And we walk in that authority. And I pray for everybody who's watching and listening today that we would rise up in the authority that we would have, that Messiah in us, Messiah in us, that is the, the mystery of the gospel, is Yeshua in us, the hope of glory, Father, that you would use us, Lord, for the work that you have before us to declare the kingdom, but also to live the kingdom, to see the kingdom expanded, to go from this mountain that we're at here in Colorado into the city of Denver, into this state, into this nation, and into the nations. We pray that, Father, for Africa. We pray that for Israel, Lord God. We pray, Father, that the believers, and I pray for the believers, Lord God, that they would walk and stand up and, and walk in the faith that they have in you and that you would come alive in them. Lord, we thank you for the things that are going to be coming before us, Lord, whether it's, Lord, you know what's before us, Lord. You know what's before us. And we just say today, we trust you. We trust you. Lord, we declare you are our God. You are the God of Israel. You rule and you reign from Zion. We thank you. We thank you that you will never leave us, forsake us, or abandon us. You promise us that. In Yeshua's name. In Yeshua's name. Amen. Let's just spend some time.